Chapter Four of Tom Playfair or Making a Start by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Four Tom arrives at St. Mars and makes the acquaintance of John Green under circumstances not entirely grateful to that interesting character. Look out, Tom, that's Pawnee Creek. Tom thrust his head out of the window and saw a small, picturesque stone bridge passing over the ghost of a stream of water. He had hardly time to catch one glimpse of it when his hat blew off, dropping straight down into the bed of Pawnee Creek. He drew in his head mournfully. I guess traveling is pretty expensive, he growled. There's twenty-five cents for caramels, one dollar and ten cents for railroad candy that made me sick, eighty-five cents for oranges, a dollar and a half to that nigger for his old lantern, and a new hat to Pawnee Creek. Oh, you can get your hat back easily enough. It's only a short walk from the college. Now, keep your eyes open one minute, continued Harry. See, he added a few minutes later, see that road leading along by the hedge? Many's the time I've taken a walk on it. Hello, there's the good old white fence. Now we are passing the college grounds. Tom had scarcely time to take a fair look at the fence, when the train came to a standstill in front of a large, four-story brick building with the words, St. Mars College, crowning its brow. Fronting the building was a spacious garden, diversified by several winding and shady walks. Fronting the garden was a high white fence, and fronting the high white fence were some hundred and odd boys with a few professors, awaiting the old scholars and new from the train. But Tom took no notice of all these things. His eyes, ears, feelings, his whole being seemed to be concentrated on the professor standing nearest him. The long black cassock and cincture were something new to him, and so great was his astonishment, the loud cheers of the boys, the fierce whistling of the locomotive, the sharp cry of, All aboard! followed by the departure of the train, might, as far as he was concerned, have happened at the other end of the world. Harry, who had left him to shake hands with some of his friends, found him, a few minutes later, standing in exactly the same position. "'Wake up, Tom!' he cried, slapping his friend on the back. This touch snapped the charm. "'I say, Harry,' he at length burst out. "'For goodness sake, look at that fellow with the gown on. Isn't he a sight?' "'Oh, what a greenhorn you are,' said Harry, with an easy air of superiority. "'That's not a gown. It's a cassock.' and the man in it is your boss. He's the prefect of the small boys. Tom's face expressed about two closely written pages of astonishment. Does he always wear that, that thing? Yes, come on up, and I'll introduce you. But does he really wear it all the time? That's what I said. Gracious, I'm glad of that. I'd like to see him catch me, if I want to run. Pshaw, he looks for all the world like an old lady. You'll find out, pretty soon, whether he can run or not, retorted Harry a little sharply. And as to being an old lady, you'll change your mind mighty soon if you try any of your tricks on him. Mr. Middleton, he continued, addressing himself to the subject of these remarks, here's another St. Louis boy, my friend Tommy Playfair. The prefect, with a smile and a word of welcome, cordially shook Tom's hand, at the same time bestowing such a clear, penetrating look upon the chubby, upturned face that, as Tom afterwards declared, Mr. Middleton seemed to see clear through his sailor's shirt way back to his shirt-collar on the other side. 
you are a wild colt i suppose not so very wild sir said tom in his gentlest tones is he lively as you harry asked the prefect i'm not going to be wild any more mr middleton returned harry in all meekness indeed the subdued air that had come over harry now that he stood in the presence of his prefect was something wonderful well harry continued mr middleton you may take care of your new friend yourself for the present i see some newcomers over there who appear to be very timid and ill at ease they are quite lost and he hastened away to do the honors to the five jones boys tom and harry left to themselves sauntered leisurely up the garden walk the former all eyes for his new surroundings what's that long low frame shanty to our right asked tom that's the infirmary when you get sick you go there and lay out for repairs it looks kind of snug yes but when a fellow's getting just well enough to enjoy the jam and buttered toast they turn him out this large four-story brick building in front of us is the house where the fathers and prefects have their rooms the lower floor of it on the east side though is the refectory for us little boys you know there are two yards two refectories two study halls and two washrooms and four dormitories so as to keep little boys and big boys apart the large room just above the refectory is our study hall now come on over to our washroom and we'll wash and brush up before dinner they turned to the right on reaching the railed steps leading up to the brick building and passed between the infirmary on one side and on the other a substantial three-story structure of stone which as harry informed tom was a classroom building continuing straight on they passed through a double gate generally ajar by the way and found themselves in an open playground about four hundred feet long by two hundred wide this is the small boy's yard volunteered harry yes queried tom plaintively does a fellow have to stay around here all the time all the time if he doesn't behave himself but come on let's hurry in before the rush beside the gate at their right and next to the classroom building stood a two-story frame house an upper floor of which was a dormitory and the lower a washroom on entering a novel scene presented itself to tom's eyes with the exception of one plain and two shovel-board tables and a few benches the main body of the room was devoid of all furniture or other obstruction but lining the four walls all around was a series of small boxes and hinged doors each box divided into an upper and lower partition used for the keeping of soap brushes toilet articles and the like and above the boxes were scattered towels soap and tin basins in all manner of ungraceful confusion the towels for the most part dangled from a water pipe ornamented with here and there a faucet at the time that our two friends entered there were a few boys in the room engaged at their ablutions while the prefect notebook in hand was giving each boy on his entrance one of the many boxes how do mr phelan said harry tipping his hat and shaking hands with his superior why harry so here you are again yes mr phelan i'm like a bad penny in one sense yes said mr phelan but you're too modest i'm delighted to see you again i see you have a new friend who is this this is tom playfair mr phelan and i say can't i have my old box again same as last year it was near that window you know and can't tom playfair have the one next to me i'm the only boy here that he knows mr phelan who had in the meantime taken tom's hand with a smile of welcome assented to mr harry's requests thank you sir said harry effusively and he conducted tom to box number twenty nine near the window he had pointed out in the making of his petition 
this is number twenty-nine my box tom and here's yours next to mine number thirty but tom was not satisfied that little bit of a box for me he exclaimed why of course harry responded you don't want the earth do you without making any answer to this important question tom walked over to the prefect i say mr feeling can't i have another box besides the one you've given me why what have you to say against the box i gave you oh that's all right but i want two boxes indeed what do you want two boxes for well you see i want one for my books you know oh said the prefect breaking into a smile you'll get a desk in the study hall for them oh that's it is it said tom satisfied with this information rejoined harry quip who with his eyes bulging out of his head had been watching tom's proceedings in utmost astonishment in the meantime the washroom had been rapidly filling every other moment witnessed the appearance of new faces among those that entered some notably the jones boys were timid beyond description others like tom were quite tranquil and self-possessed others again were rather bold and undoubtedly noisy this latter class aroused tom's curiosity i say harry he inquired who are those fellows in here that talk so loud and lift up their shoulders when they walk around and go on as if they owned the whole place Shh, don't talk so loud tom said harry with unaffected seriousness there are a few of the old boys you see they're perfectly at home they're apt to be pretty hard on newcomers are all the old boys that way was tom's next question well not all but a great many are these questions and answers afford considerable insight into the economy of boarding-school life we hear and read a great deal about the easy confidence nay boldness of old servants old clerks and the like but what are they all compared to the old student at boarding-school as a newcomer he may be the most timid the most meek of mortals the first few weeks of his changed life he may rarely speak above a whisper but with the ruling months as he picks up a friend or so evidences of ease and natural bearing insinuate themselves into his address at the end of the term he departs and may be a quite gentlemanly boy but vacation over lo he returns as one of the owners of earth and sky with all the assurance and arrogance attributed by the american press to a plumber in midwinter every look every tone every gesture proclaims in terms unmistakable that he is an old boy that he knows more about life in any phase than a newcomer that he is up to every conceivable turn of schoolboy fortune that a new boy how naturally gifted soever is but an inferior sort of creature and that in fine there is nothing humanly speaking in the heavens above or the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth that can compare with that supremest of mortals the old boy it would be an injustice however to let the reader suppose that all old boys belong to this class not so quite a goodly number are as polite unpretending gentlemanly and sensible as the most refined newcomer johnny green was an old boy of the former class for the last five or six minutes he had been making himself very conspicuous in the washroom by talking in a raised voice whenever the prefect was out of hearing of the way he had got ahead of the old man as he irreverently termed his father of the great and disgusting number of new kids that had already appeared in the washroom and of their uncommonly disagreeable appearance which master green put down as being rather green having completed his toilet which consisted chiefly and indeed almost exclusively in so arranging his hair as to conceal almost entirely his freckled forehead john green stationed himself at the narrow door of the washroom where he amused himself at such odd times as the attending prefect's preoccupying duties allowed 
by tripping up various little newcomers as they chanced to leave or enter tom and harry were now going out and green was anxiously awaiting his new victim harry advanced first and being an old boy was allowed to pass unmolested then came tom who by the way had been watching master green's little practical joke for fully five minutes as tom was verging upon the threshold green put out his foot suddenly a howl rose from the bully's mouth why good gracious exclaimed tom turning on his steps did i walk on your foot but really what a big foot you've got you wretched little fool roared the bully who was now hopping about with a combination of earnestness and liveliness exhilarating to see you've stepped on at least five of my corns that's too bad tom made answer for his face grew into its most serious expression but all the farmers say there's going to be a large corn crop this year with this consolatory reflection he passed on arm in arm with harry quip who was struggling but with sorry success to keep a straight face leaving the discomfited master green to continue or conclude his dance as he pleased adjoining the end of the washroom there was and as yet doubtless a small shed under whose protecting cover were a turning pool a pair of parallel bars a few other articles of gymnastics and a line of benches upon one of these latter our two friends seated themselves calmly awaiting the welcome sound of the dinner bell but the calm how history repeats itself proved to be the forerunner of a storm scarcely had they composed themselves in their seats when john green who was wearied of dancing and was anxious to meet tom in a place beyond sight of all prefects turned the corner leisurely leaning his head on his left arm his left arm on one of the parallel bars and placing his right hand on his hip he had made a special study of this special attitude during vacation he fastened a stern gaze upon tom notwithstanding our hero seemed to be oblivious of green's presence i say began the bully when he realized that both pose and gaze had shot wide of the mark are there any more like you at home i don't know i'm sure answered tom with suavity but if you wish i'll write home and ask at this retort three or four newcomers who were sitting near by and had been gazing about listlessly broke into a titter the bully glared at them ferociously whereupon their faces fell into length again and a faraway look the symptom of homesickness came into their eyes harry had laughed too but his laugh met with no rebuke he was an old boy and in consequence was entitled to the privilege encouraged by the power of his eye master green turned it in full force upon tom and again addressed himself to that unterrified youth what's your name sonny tom's face assumed a troubled expression he passed his hand over his forehead and through his hair then after a pause made answer can't remember it just now my memory's bad when the weather's warm it's an awful long name it took the priest over five minutes to get it in the day i was baptized another titter from the listeners and a loud laugh from harry but green was too astonished at the coolness of the newcomer to check this outburst i suppose continued green with excessive irony you think you're funny i guess i do answered tom blandly all the family say i am and when i was home they never let me go to funerals for fear i'd make em laugh in the solemn parts a prolonged giggle and a louder laugh you're terribly smart exclaimed the withering green who forgetting his pose was now quite stiff and bolt upright smart echoed tom why now you're hitting the nail right on the head the fellows at the school i attended last year said they wouldn't come back if i did because i always carried off all the premiums and that's why i came here you'd better shut your mouth or i'll hit you vociferated the bully 
drowning the laughter evoked by this last retort and as he spoke he pulled up the arms of his coat revealing in the act a pair of cuffs with many flashing cuff buttons oh if you're going to strike pursued tom with all the placidity of a mid-spring zephyr i think i'd better shut my mouth or you might poke your fist down my throat and then i'd be sick for life in this quick rejoinder there was to the spectators gazing upon green's clenched fist a certain obviousness of point consequently it aroused mirth in all the listeners and rage in the heart of the bully you're a coward he foamed that's what you say said tom and a sneak that's what you say and a mule thief i never stole you this was too much for green he made a spring at tom but harry caught his arm hold on green said harry just take a boy of your size harry and tom it should be remarked were each a year or two younger than green let go of me will you shouted the bully no i won't suddenly john green became very quiet jumped upon the parallel bars and began swinging up and down mr middleton had just turned the corner harry broke into a whistle while tom maintained his blandness to the end before hostilities could be renewed the bell rang for dinner you took him up in great shape tom observed harry on the way to the refectory where did you get that cool way of saying things oh i used to have a great many rows with my uncle and he got me so's i couldn't get excited all the same you'd better keep your eyes open green will pay you back for your talk before long anyhow if i'm around or any decent old fellow you'll be all right he's a coward and a mean boy and if he caught you alone he'd be sure to take it out on you but he won't tackle us together they were now at the door of the refectory as each student entered mr middleton assigned him his place at one of the ten tables each of these being laid for twelve to their regret harry and tom were placed at different tables dinner passed off quietly before thanks had been returned mr middleton announced that each boy should immediately on leaving the refectory go to the room of the prefect of studies where he would learn his class and obtain a list of the books which he should procure from the procurator or being translated the buyer tom and harry who contrived to have their interview with the prefect of studies at the same time were both assigned to the class of rudiments a class where the student is prepared to enter upon the study of latin they managed to get their books about the same time too and so to their undisguised delight mr middleton appointed them seats next each other in the hall of studies tom this is just glorious exclaimed harry as they emerged from the study room we're in the same class and we're right next to each other for studies but look here while you were getting your books and i was outside waiting for you i heard something you know the first thing green's going to do to you no what why the first chance he gets today he's going to pin a paper on your back with kick me i am a fool on it he's waiting his chance now in the yard i think tom stood still and gave himself up for a few seconds to reflection then he resumed his walk and observed we'll fix him if he tries it harry i'll tell you what we'll let him go pretty far with his joke i won't notice him but when he gets behind me and is pinning it on you take out your handkerchief will you of course you'll be standing in front and facing me what'll you do you'll see he won't enjoy the joke very much anyhow no sooner had the boys entered the yard than they noticed that john green was eyeing them closely he's waiting his chance whispered harry just so answered tom say let's go down by the handball alley harry acquiesced and both made their way to the further end of the yard 
harry with his hands in his pockets leaned against the body of the alley so as to take in the whole playground while tom also hands in pockets stood facing harry commanding a view of nothing save what was included in the two walls of the alley green in the meantime was following in their wake with stealthy steps even tom could divine this from the expression on harry's countenance at length green had secured a suitable position for pinning on the placard he stooped forthwith harry drew out his handkerchief talking of jumping exclaimed tom at once how's this and he gave a sharp backward kick with his right foot green received the full force of this on his shins the tenderest part of him perhaps by the law of compensation for his head was within a little of being actually impregnable both as to blows and as to ideas on the moment green testified his presence by a prolonged howl good gracious tom exclaimed turning around and addressing green who with both hands was holding one knee and hopping enthusiastically with the only foot he had at liberty why how in the world did you come to be behind me you're terribly unlucky ain't you a crowd of boys who had been watching green's ill-timed attempt to fasten on the placard were now shouting and laughing as they hurried down the yard to take in in fuller detail the victim's lively and novel dance does it hurt asked tom compassionately as he picked up the placard which green had allowed to fall to the ground does it hurt bawled green suspending his dance to give full effect to his answer oh no it doesn't hurt at all it's awfully pleasant you fool and with this burst of eloquence he resumed his dancing i say what's this inquired tom holding the placard at arm's length and scanning it critically is this your paper yes and i wish you and that paper were in halifax the intense devotion of this sentiment was beyond doubt but pursued tom you've got kick me written on it so you've got what you want and are you really and truly a fool this question so angered green that he lost sight of his pain releasing his injured leg he made a savage rush at tom but this time too his intentions were frustrated george keenan a boy who had attended st mars for several years and who judging by his modesty didn't seem to know it caught the aggressor's arm with a grip which elicited another howl let him alone green he served you right you've no business to be picking on boys under your size every chance you get and look here you better not touch him when john donnell or i am around and george walked away the bully was too crestfallen to face his fellow students galling and shamefaced he hobbled off to the infirmary to get his leg painted with iodine george keenan who has here entered upon the scene merits a few words he was a model boy not the kind of a model boy that figures in many tales for the young but such a model as you may expect to meet with occasionally nay god be thanked for it oftentimes in real life at baseball running handball football and all manners of athletic games no one was more skilled than george he was small undergrown for his years and slightly made still his strength was unquestioned and yet no one had ever known george to exert his strength for mean or low purposes no one had ever known him to use his influence for aught save what was ennobling he was everybody's friend with him the bad were for the nonce good and the good were better withal he was cheerful jocose and a bit of a wag he made his way through life with the brightness and wholesomeness of a sunbeam nor is george among the general run of boarding-school students an isolated character in every well-conducted boarding-school there are hearts as warm and minds as noble these boys are themselves the least self-conscious of mortals though they know it not 
they are doing work and good work too for the lord and saviour whom in the nobility of their hearts they love with manly tenderness End of chapter four recording by maria therese